Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that signs of new nerve cells have been spotted in adult brains. I like to say brains like that because it's like pinky in the brain. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> now, a tweaked laboratory protocol revealed signs of thousands of newborn nerve cells in the brains of adults, including someone who was 100. And those immature neurons mark the latest data points in this debate that's lasted for decades over whether people's brains develop new nerve cells as adults. And that process is called neurogenesis, happens in the brains of some animals, and scientists have been a bit divided over whether human brains as adults are capable of this thing. And what these researchers did that must have been great fun was they sliced or they viewed slices of postmortem brains of 13 formerly healthy people <laughs> aged 43 to 87 under a microscope and saw these newborn nerve cells. And they were part of the hippocampus called the dentate gyrus, a suspected hotspot for these new neurons. And that's kind of cool because they used some new procedures where they did really fresh brains and they soaked them only for a little while in chemicals that preserve the tissues so they're able to see more than they normally do. And that's really cool because, well, it looks like we really can make new cells in our brains. And what's really cool is they also looked at Alzheimer brains and they had far fewer of those cells, which means maybe one of the things that's going on with Alzheimer's is that you don't have enough stem cells in your brain. Just saying. <laughs> now, you guys know I've been really working on my foreshadowing skills, and I think I nailed this one because we might just be talking about stem cells and brains today if you didn't figure that one out. But before we get into that, for 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. 
That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. Now back to brains and stem cells. Today's guest is a board-certified integrative neurosurgeon named Dr. Marcella Madera. And the reason I'm having her on the show is, well, there are very few integrative neurosurgeons out there, but she's actually done work on me, which is particularly cool. If you've seen my videos on YouTube or you heard the interview with Dr. Harry Adelson and Amy Killen from Docere Clinic, um, you've heard about my six hands whole body stem cell procedure where I had stem cells pretty much everywhere you can stick them in the body. Well, two of the six hands sticking stem cells everywhere in my body belong to uh, Dr. Marcella or Dr. Madeira, as we can call her, just call her Marcella for the interview. Marcella, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, uh, it's actually really cool to be able to, uh, to chat with you when I'm not post anesthesia with uh, all sorts of weird, goopy things on my head, which I think <laughs> happened last time. I'd like to start out by saying, what made you an integrative neurosurgeon? Because those words sort of feel oppositional to me. Like, like most of the time, <laughs> surgeons are the ones who are like, I don't know, hit it with antibiotics, and I can stop a human heart, and I'm so tough. And here you are, not only doing integrative stuff, you do Dr. Barry Morgulon's energy exercises before you operate. Like, you're, you're kind of out there. How do, you, how do you exist in both worlds? What made you this way? So I had many years of taking care of patients where I, you know, I had this rigorous surgical training at Hopkins for my fellowship. And I really had the feeling over and over and over that I wanted to treat patients holistically. And I felt like there was so much more that I could offer um, to patients in terms of their whole life and their whole health, as opposed to just finding a place to cut. So that's how I started my journey. How have your colleagues responded when you when you, you, know, you sit there and do some sort of deep breathing exercises, unusual stretches, and then talk about being integrative? Are you are you shunned? Do you sit by yourself at the cafeteria where all the surgeons eat? Like, how does that work? You know, actually, um, my partners have been really supportive of this um, adventure that I've been on of creating this integrative practice. Um, in the OR, for example, you know, I do. Uh, physical energy exercises before every case. And my whole team in the room, including anesthesia, scrub tech, C-arm tech, um, nurses, uh, monitoring tech, every single person in the room does the exercises. And now people start coming to the room ahead of time, like, hey, have you guys exercised yet? People that aren't in my room. Um, so really the whole team getting involved has been really supportive for both me and for the patient and cre creating that um, positive environment in the room uh, for the procedure. Um, and then my partners, I have uh, done the exercises with them when we've scrubbed together and they smile and they let me do it. <laughs> All right. Describe the exercises that you're doing with people. I mean, if, by the way, just people listening, if you've watched the video with Dr. Barry or listened to any of the interviews with Dr. Barry, he, he goes pretty deep. He's like the guy who Dr. Strange, the movie, they interviewed him before they made the movie. Cause he's that surgeon who went off to China and all that. All right. So Marcella, what, what do patients <laughs> see you do before you start cutting on their brains? Sure. Well, so I do, uh, with my integrative practice, I always teach all of my patients um, one exercise uh, that they do leading up to the surgery, and then they do after a physical exercise. And that's a neck exercise, a very simple one where you turn your head all the way to one side, hold in your abdomen, um, your core really strong, and you say, each day I go farther. 
and you do that to both sides really slowly each day. I go farther. So I teach that one to patients. Um, again, it helps align their mind and body getting ready for surgery and then helps them recover after in terms of, again, aligning their body uh, to heal. And then in surgery, while the patient's asleep, um, with the team, I choose one of the hundreds of exercises that Dr. Morgillen has given us. So um, today, for example, we did um, this exercise where you put your hands together and you touch your chest and you hold in and you say out loud, if it's going to be, it's going to be me. Um, that's a fun one. Um, we also did a push-pull today, which is um, pushing one hand out and bringing the other to the chest and then alternating that and taking big, deep breaths. That, that's like a Tai Chi. It's a relatively common Tai Chi one yes. but with uh, Dr. Berry's yes. spin on it. Okay. But th- exactly. all the Tai Chi stuff comes from that lineage anyway. But just for people who exactly. aren't going to see this on video. Um, yeah, yeah. The, these are uh, these are unusual things. And I got to tell you guys, I listen to Dr. Berry's uh, audio uh, stuff and I do some of his movement exercises not as often as I probably could. Uh, but there's weird stuff that happens and it's reliable and repeatable. Uh, so I, I just find it particularly ballsy when a, a licensed medical doctor is willing to go out there and be like, <laughs> yes, I do this. It, it's almost like if you got out a rattle and shook it three times and spun around and lit a candle before, like there might be value in that. The shamans I know are very serious about that stuff. Uh, and they have, some of them have very unusual abilities. So I'm not, I'm not discounting it. It's just like, it's a bit risky right? because People could say, she made me do this and I didn't like it or whatever. Do you worry about that? Never. I, you know, and the thing is, the the results speak for themselves. When I started doing these exercises in the OR with my team, um, this was years ago before I had my integrative practice. I was doing this, you know, for myself and for the patient, but people love doing them and they love the way they feel. Everybody in the OR loves to take a deep breath and start the case. You know, we always do a timeout before surgery. So the timeout, we say the name of the patient, what procedure we're doing, do we have all the equipment? So there's, there's a space in the OR that's reserved for getting everybody on the same team together, eye contact, let's do this. And this just adds a piece to that, that allows each individual person to take a deep breath, clear their mind, and go for it. And people love it. I've, I haven't had one person in the room say, I don't want to do that anymore. And if they're, they're not telling me, they are. <laughs> <laughs> there are a bunch of, uh, of studies out there. One was just published. I shared it on, on social media about, it turns out we really can learn when we're asleep, at least a little bit. And they looked at EEG and they did all this stuff. So something happens. Um, there's also, Various uh, people, surgeons, as well as I believe a few studies I've come across where they talk about what people say when you're unconscious during surgery actually affects outcome, right? So do you pay extra attention to you know, the language when you have a patient who's, who's out? Or do you think, you know, when you're saying, if it's going to be, it's going to be me and, <laughs> or whatever it is. I mean, do you think that that's moving the needle and have you ever measured it? Or is it one of those things where, you know, it feels good and it can't be harmful, so let's do it. Um, I think it's a little of both. So I have a great example of this. I have a patient who was a um, is a PhD psychologist who has an expertise in hypnotism. And he asked me uh, very specifically to read him a script while he was going to sleep and while he was emerging. And he wrote the script, and it had to do with um, no pain, just pressure. Um, it was like a three paragraph um, script that had to do with his recovery and mainly minimizing pain. 
This guy had a multi-level lumbar fusion, very big and a revision. He'd had surgery before. So four plus hour operation, hardware. The guy did not take one narcotic pill in the hospital. Now it's an N of one. Um, but Dang. I, Spine I surgery do. with no anesthetic. <laughs> Would you just, just just cut the cut the spinal cord That's all the way? Next. There you go. You won't feel that. That's no. next. Oh my gosh, Tony, don't say that. That <laughs> hurts hurts my feelings. No, um, no, no. I, I'm but, just saying, uh, like, how could you not feel it? But uh, unless yeah. there was no nerve there, but clearly, yeah. um, clearly something was happening, right? But n equals one. For right. sure, for sure. And then also, you know, I do believe that all of our brains are wired to focus on the negative or our culture, our upbringing, our protective mechanisms in our brain. We want to protect ourselves. So anything that's negative, we focus on that because we're protecting ourselves. But the more you speak in a way that is in reality, but also encouraging of the future. So this is going to go great. Your nerves are going to heal. You're going to feel better, whether it's during the surgery or in preoperative discussion with the surgery or after the patient, I do feel like the intention that we have for healing can affect the results for sure. Do you think intention matters more when you're using stem cells? I think it matters all the time. Um, but I'm somebody that uses it in my, in my regular practice and my integrative practice. So I think it doesn't hurt anywhere. Yeah. And that's something that I would love for everyone listening to, to just hear that mindset is exceptionally unusual in hardcore Western medicine, where you're saying, okay, if it doesn't hurt and it might have benefit, even if we don't know why, it's okay to do it. But we have almost this fear of like, well, if I don't know that it works, we, we just can't do it because we might look silly. But here's the deal. If it feels good and it might work and it isn't expensive and it doesn't introduce more risk, it's okay to do it without knowing for sure. And, and that mindset just requires courage, especially when you're dealing with, you know, a, a licensed thing like that. So I love it. You're pragmatic. And what you're saying makes so much logical, scientifically true sense that it's, it's super cool. But I would say, too, you know, in my integrative practice, every patient has gotten better. So I know it works. Mm -hmm. and, and in those, you know, but I've used that intention. I write my own goals. I handwrite goals for every single patient that I want that patient's procedure to go perfectly, that I want them to have perfect recovery. And the, like I said, the results speak for themselves. So I'm using the intention and it is working. There, there you go. Um, part of the reason I'm asking that is that, all right, guys, uh, I'm just going to go out and, and into a little bit of crazy land here. Uh, you all know from the people I've interviewed, Alberto Vioto, Dr. Barry, uh, Joy Martina recently. So I'm totally happy to talk to people who just know stuff and they can't say why or how, but they, they're just people I'll call highly intuitive. My experience of the world as a biohacker and a skeptical computer scientist guy is that sometimes there's stuff I can't explain yet and I'm going to find a way to explain it. But in the meantime, I'm not going to ignore this <laughs> stuff and I'm going to actually look for it. So I, I know people like that. One of those people, after I had my whole body stem cell makeover with uh, Harry and Amy and Marcella, I, uh, they actually were like, oh, what's, what's going on here? And, and I, I didn't really give them much details, but like, wow, like there's these, these little golden thingies floating around in your body. And yes, there are people who at least believe they can see inside you with Superman X-ray vision. I don't know if they can, but they, they knew something was going on. And they're like, oh, wow, those little things, they move around like when I tell them where to go. And, and actually two different people who have that kind of weird skill set 
independently didn't know each other, both said the same thing. So there's probably something cool about stem cells might listen because something has to guide in your body when you're in the womb. How does a stem cell know whether it becomes like your liver or becomes your tooth, right? <laughs> do you do we know what's telling them to do that? Um, we think part of it is the so the paracrine signaling or the signaling from the other the environment that they're in um, contributes to that. The chemical signaling, um, correct? Yeah, chemical right. signaling or microscopic chemicals that tell the cells what to do, and that's how we think that the regenerative treatments actually work. Is that we inject whether it's your own cells or um, an external substance uh, like exosome or umbilical cell, something we inject that then tells your cells to wake up and heal. Um, so it's, it has to do with the chemical signaling. Uh, so there's definitely some chemical signaling, but there's also some evidence that there's electrical or magnetic signaling that also is helping to guide what's going on. If you run a current over a developing embryo in an animal, very strange things happen that aren't that don't happen otherwise. So at least my understanding of that system is that it's probably some chemical and some other field-based stuff. And when I say field, I mean measurable fields, not uh, you know fields of intention. But hey, we just talked about maybe those matter too. Who knows? <laughs> I will say too, my patients who have done the energy work um, in my integrative practice, some uh, sign up and do more intensive practices and uh, listen to the audios. And the patients that have done more of that have done better than those who yeah. didn't. I have zero doubt that that would be the case. I'm having experienced Dr. Barry's work in person and just done his his stuff. In fact, my 11-year-old, after one week of listening to Dr. Barry's meditation stuff before she goes to bed, she's like, I go to bed a lot easier. I like this. And she said, I told Yay. myself I'm doing it for three months. And she did it. And she said, now I'm going to do it for a year. So every night for a year, my 11-year-old, of her own volition, without any encouragement, Amazing. decided that she would listen to you know, one of probably 50 different Dr. B uh, meditation things. I, I'd know that they do something, and I've felt some really cool stuff that I don't normally get from meditation without really advanced work. So I don't know. There's, there's stuff going on with that. So I could see why patients would get better, because if you can increase that thing we call chi, um, you'll heal faster. And there's tons of studies of that with acupuncture and that sort of thing. So like, we, we know there's something going on there. And I love it that you're just like, yeah, I'm going to do it because it's not going to hurt anyone. And my patients seem to like it. Like how, like what a great healer uh, perspective that is. Thanks. I, I want to get more into though, the fact that you're one of the the only spine surgeons to selectively and occasionally offer stem cell treatments using a patient's own harvested cells uh, for things like MS or Parkinson's or things like that. Can you talk about what you think is happening in the future of that, uh, of that field? Absolutely. You know, there, the neurodegenerative diseases have been linked more and more to inflammation. And we know that the regenerative uh, substances, whether it's patients own cells, or again, these other regenerative substances we can use do uh, modulate the inflammatory response. Um, there are it is very promising what's going on in other countries with studies with these severe cases of neurodegenerative diseases and treating them with regenerative medicine. So I do think this is the future for those diseases for sure. If you put on your 20 year from now hat, someone walks in, they've got spinal cord injuries or they've got Alzheimer's or their brains all jacked up. What are you going to be doing? <laughs> So I think spinal cord injury, that's what gets me really, really excited um, because I think we're closer to that one because uh, I feel like we're getting to where we know where to do the injections and how to do them, and especially for incomplete injuries. 
So meaning someone is not completely paralyzed, but partially, because um, they have further or less far to go in terms of healing. Um, but I think we're going to be doing uh, intrathecal injections, and then we're going to be doing injections in multiple other areas of the body to help the nerve healing. I definitely haven't been paralyzed or anything, but I, I did the full-on give me a young person's spinal cord and brain stem cells everywhere in the body kind of thing. Um, the the most extensive procedure I think that's ever been done on one person at one time, uh, at least according to anyone I can find. Um, <laughs> and we did masses of exosomes and my own stem cells. And can you walk people through what are exosomes and why would you use them anywhere in the nervous system or in the body? Sure. So the simplest explanation is that they are little nanoparticles full of awesome regenerative juice. Um, what's in that regenerative juice are uh, RNA, which is, a, again, a very microchemical um, signaling molecule, and then also growth factors and hundreds of different growth factors. They The exosomes come from immature stem cells and those stem cells secrete these vesicles. So they actually don't have any DNA in them. So they're not cells themselves. Um, they're powerful. So I had, um, 11 vials of exosomes pretty much everywhere, <laughs> everywhere in the body. And, and, and guys, if you didn't hear the original interview about this, I had stem cells in every joint in my body, basically from the ankles on up every vertebra. And then, uh, all the cosmetic and reproductive organ stuff, uh, and then, uh, Marcella, can you describe like what we uh, what we did uh, with uh, with the stem cells along my spine and brain and things like that? Yeah. So for your spine, um, at every joint from your cervical spine, so the neck um, and also the base of the skull, so from the base of the skull, all of the neck spine, all of the thoracic spine, which is the part that's connected to the ribs, all of the lumbar spine, which is the low back, SI joints, which are the joints that connect your pelvis to your spine. And, um, and then iliolumbar ligaments, which are ligaments that connect the pelvis to the spine. And then also, so that's all of the joints from top to bottom, plus epidural injections, which uh, help the nerves. So epidural injections in the lumbar, thoracic, and cervical, and then intrathecal, which is into the spinal fluid in the neck. And then those cells get into the spinal fluid and get to the brain as well. The reason I wanted to do all this is, well, okay, I'm planning to live to at least 180, and I have a pretty crappy history in terms of people who are likely to either be in men's health with my shirt off, which did happen, uh, given that <laughs> I, I used to weigh, <laughs> I mean, I used to weigh 300 pounds, and if you look closely, you can see my stretch marks in the photo, and I didn't know I was taking my shirt off. It was, they're like, could you do that? I'm like, over my dead body. Like, are you kidding? And they coaxed me into doing it, and the picture's like, I guess I have abs, whatever. But that was unlikely. But in terms of living to 180, given that I had high risk of stroke and heart attack, arthritis in my knees since I was 14, you know, runaway inflammation, chemical damage to my brain from toxic mold. And then over the last couple of years, I actually had two substantial traumatic brain injuries. Uh, so I'm like, you know what? I think I need a reset on all this. I'm just going to go in and, and do all that. Uh, and that was what motivated me to do it, even though I don't have, you know, Parkinson's or any of that, but I know I've had inflammation throughout a lot of my life because of autoimmunity and toxic mold, all that stuff. So that's the context. Uh, but also, if I hadn't had all those things, would I have done this? Uh, probably, because I still have lived <laughs> 180, and you know, this is kind of a reset for me. Um, what I noticed that was probably most profound after the treatment 
uh, was it took about maybe two weeks, but my sleep score went through the roof. I, I've been, I've gotten really good at hacking my sleep. I have 10 years of sleep data <laughs> that I've been gathering <laughs> most nights, uh, going back all the way to the days of the Zio, which they don't even make anymore. And, uh, pretty good sleep data. Most of the time, the, the difference I found is that the amount of deep sleep that I get went through the roof. And I do it in conjunction with the, the True Dark glasses. I take sleep mode. I do all the other sleep hacks that have been that, that I originally wrote that have been kind of copied all over the internet, you know, collagen or honey or brain octane before bed, all that stuff. Uh, but the the amount of REM and the amount of deep sleep, I oftentimes get two hours plus uh, of each one per night in six hours of sleep. So I'm getting as wow. much of those things as a 20 year old gets in eight hours <laughs> in six hours and I'm 46. Amazing. amazing. I think it was the cells. I mean, I, can we prove that that's what did it? No, but wow. Um, have you seen other patients improve their sleep when they get this kind of stuff done? I haven't. Um, but also I think that, you know, every chemistry is different and your chemistry clearly needed that if, if that was the source of the improvement. Um, like you said, the chronic inflammation that you've had has has caused a longstanding disruption or could have caused a longstanding disruption in your sleep and that resetting it with this, you know, inflammatory modulate, modulating exosomes could have gotten you that effect for sure. Uh, something else really irritating uh, and kind of disruptive happened. Since I was maybe 11, my preferred bedtime is 2 a.m. And, and if <laughs> yeah, you look at my sleep data, <laughs> I go to bed at 2.05 a.m. I get tired at 1.55. I write my books until 1.55 between 11 p.m. and like 2 a.m. almost. That's my quiet time. I'm in the zone. I just nail it. Go to sleep, wake up, fully refreshed, six hours, you're ready to go. Uh, but I started getting tired at like 10 o'clock and wanting to wake up at 5.30. It's horrible. Like it's... <laughs> It's dark at 5.30. It's the middle of the freaking night, okay? And yeah. so, uh, and I've since managed to push that back a little bit, but I still, I'm waking up like, you know, 6.30 or 7. I don't want to wake up that early. Like, I need my writing time. Uh, and and so I do think that it shifted my circadian rhythm to be more normal, uh, but I don't want to be normal. I want to be above normal. Uh, so I, I blame you. you write in the morning? No, I have kids. Are you kidding? Like you wake up in the morning, I like the energy's all wrong. Like a lot yeah. of writers actually there's there's something magic that happens after eleven for writing. Like there's I don't know, the 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 moon energy comes out and I yeah. put on crystals. I'm kidding. I have no idea, but there's something <laughs> special that happens there. Uh so I, I do think there's a circadian thing. Can you talk more about nervous systems, surgery, circadian stuff? Like what have you learned? Especially as an integrative practitioner. Um, that might be applicable to everyone listening if they're going to get any kind of surgery? Well, for surgery, um, optimizing sleep before surgery is really important. And that's something from an integrative perspective. I never talked about that before I was doing integrative work. Um, but certainly, you know, surgery is extremely traumatic to your system. And so my entire process leading up to surgery, or even if it's just a small procedure, not a surgery, is optimizing the stress response, the inflammation response, and trying to keep people as calm and cool, rested and well 
um, even better than their normal state of health leading up to surgery. So sleep is incredibly important before and then afterwards, um, depending on how big the surgery is and how you know long people are in the hospital. Um, most of the things that I do in my integrative practice are actually pretty small surgeries because one of my goals with my integrative practice is to minimize the size of surgery that I do. So I'm actually doing small, minimally invasive things. Um, but if you're in the hospital for a few days or, you know, with medications that you're taking, all of that can disrupt sleep. And the more sleep you get, the better you're going to feel, the better you're going to heal. Um, that's very, very, very well known. Hospital environments suck. Um, I, I do my I best to stay out of the hospital. Okay. That's Thank a statement you. all of us would say, unless we work in one. Uh, but, um, I think the only time I've really spent any time in the hospital was maybe four years ago. I stepped on a rusty nail oh. and you're like, all right, fine, whatever. Um, I had a tetanus shot a while back. I don't know. And uh, I was feeling fine and I thought I didn't go that deep and I put some iodine on it. I'm like, I'm good to go. And three days later, I started getting a little infection in the, in the spot on my foot and I'm flying all over the place and I come back and okay, Lana, my wife's an ER doctor. Uh, and uh, I'm starting to get like pain in my jaw and like weird muscle tension and things like this. Uh, so she's like, uh, Dave, you need to go to the hospital and go to the front of the line. I'm like, oh, you're come on. Like what's, what's up? She says, no, you actually have tetanus. Like not anything if this wow. isn't like, oh, you might have tetanus, like you have the symptoms of this and you know, this can kill you in eight hours or something. So I'm like, I guess I'll go to the hospital. So I went there and uh, the Canadian system is really cool. They're like, oh, just hang out here. No problem. Uh, we'll have some of the, whatever the stuff is called. It's not the, the tetanus vaccine. It's the tetanus uh, gamma globulins, I think, uh, immunoglobulins, whatever they are. And so they fly the stuff in on a helicopter and they didn't even charge me five bucks. It was amazing. But uh, I spent, you know, eight hours in the hospital. I'm like, I couldn't sleep in this hospital to save my life. And like, if I was going to have surgery, beeping and horrible lighting and constant interruptions and like, how does anyone heal in a hospital? Well, I, I will say too. So the whole process of being in the hospital um, sets off a stress reaction, which sets off inflammation. And we do know that inflammation um, can affect the circadian rhythm that there's there are connections chemically between circadian rhythms and inflammation so what do people do in the hospital i mean number one we try to do the smallest <laughs> surgery possible to get them out as quick as possible um, for my patients who have are in my uh do my integrative program before and after. I actually have them listen to the breathing exercises um, while they're in the hospital uh, after. Um, really, anytime they could leave the breathing exercise on all night, and that helps with sleep. Um, I also have another um, autogenic uh, exercise um, that came from another uh, from a neurosurgeon who is a holistic pain doctor now um, that helps uh, manage pain with cognitive exercises. Um, so managing pain is a big part of it uh, when mm -hmm. you're in the hospital to get sleep and then keeping your nervous system calm as well. But the number one thing is quick surgery, stay as, as short time as you can. <laughs> Do you envision a future where hospitals actually help you heal by designing their environments to be a little bit human friendly and a little bit less like being inside of a refrigerator? I have no idea. <laughs> How do you even describe it? I do. I think, um, so that's a great way to talk about a project, um, that I'm working on with the medical school here in Austin. So Dell medical school, um, has 
uh, supported me with this project of how do we reduce pain after lumbar fusion. And they're actually letting me add some integrative techniques to the pathway before um, and after surgery. So we're even getting anti-inflammatory diet in the hospital, um, amazingly. What do you what do you recommend? And so this is something, listening to this, you get to talk to a surgeon about, an integrative surgeon about, okay, what do you do before surgery? And this doesn't have to be before neurosurgery, before any kind of surgery, right? So what, what kind of food changes do you make for people before they go in? So I really design a food discussion based on how much I think the patient can manage. Um, some people come to see me and they already know what, you know, where the meat sources that are important, what the good ones are. And well, you're in Austin, so any, any barbecue is fine, right? <laughs> um, there, there are some places that are, are better sourced than others. Okay, got so um, grass-fed, you're basically you, saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But there are some patients that come and have a, a wide uh, variety of knowledge, and other people come and have never heard of um, that that actually gluten and dairy can be inflammatory or have never believed it and have never heard a conventional doctor tell them that, you know, it, it is actually important. So, um, the other thing is, you know, leading up to surgery is stressful. And so I don't want to give people a hundred things to do leading up to surgery, if, especially if their surgery, if they need to do something pretty quickly, if they've got severe nerve compression or something. So I really design it based on what the patient, um, can feasibly manage without too much stress. So typically what that is, the simplest thing is, um, you know, very simple, low inflammatory diet, low dairy, low gluten, um, cutting both of those if they can. Um, we do, I do talk to them about fat sources, trying to get grass fed, um, if they can. And the grass fed butter, we talk about butter and cheese, um, either, you know, European sources or grass fed sources. And in Austin, you know, we're really lucky. We have, you know, great farmer's markets and, um, whole foods is from here. So we actually, people have access to really great stuff here. So I try to keep it as simple as and compact as I can, if their surgery is coming up pretty quickly. Um, for patients who want to dig really deep and As in the ones who don't want to die and want to suffer less after <laughs> surgery, those ones. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those, we just do a more intense anti-inflammatory diet. Um, and I have, you know, being a neurosurgeon, I, I have a lot of colleagues who are integrative and functional medicine doctors who have very specific, you know, do lab testing and do stool testing. And if people want to get really deep into it, then I refer them to one of my um, really uh, expert colleagues for that stuff. What differences do you see in recovery time when people go to the trouble of, oh, I'm going to change my diet uh, and I'm, you know, I'm going to do everything I can before surgery? Like what, what as a surgeon, what do you see inside the tissues? What do you see during recovery? So I have a great uh, patient example for that. So I have a lady who had um, severe neck pain, arm pain, uh, neck disease, a disc pressing on her spinal cord. Um, and the first time I met her was in my conventional practice. And when I met her, I said, you know, you are a candidate for surgery. And also her hand, she had hand dysfunction. So arm pain, neck pain, hand dysfunction. Um, but she really, really wanted to optimize her life first. And she knew that she could do a lot of things, but she didn't, she just hadn't done them. So she went on a very strict uh, anti-inflammatory diet. She did some um, other energy modalities uh, for pain, um, uh, electromagnetic fields and cold laser. She did uh, the energy. <laughs> All the stuff at Upgrade Labs. <laughs> I love it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. She did some energy exercises. Um, and she amazingly at six months of doing that, 
Her arm pain was gone. Her neck pain was gone. She was walking two miles every day where she couldn't walk before, like more than a, like 10 minutes. And this was without surgery? And this was without surgery. <laughs> but her hand, she still had hand dysfunction. Like her hand still wasn't quite right because she still had a disc pressing on her cord. But it was so powerful. And I, you know, I have um, her neck disability scores, her quality of life scores, you know, validated patient outcome measures that clearly show she was like 80% better without surgery. And so then when we did her surgery, she, you know, went home the same day we, we did regenerative procedure in addition. So I did her cervical fusion, but then I also treated the rest of her spine, which was very arthritic with stem cells. Beautiful. And, um, so we did the surgery plus regenerative, which is something I'm super excited about. And then she flew through recovery and she's perfect now. And, um, so to answer your question, recovery it is only made better by cleaning everything up ahead of time. It's astounding to me. I, I lived my life with constant pain to the point that I didn't know it was abnormal because it was always there. Like my upper back always hurt. My knees always hurt. And when I went down the path on, on developing the Bulletproof Diet, which is a lot in alignment with the anti-inflammatory stuff, and it, right. it's not based on what our ancestors ate. It's based on, well, what is what do you know about biochemistry and nutrition that re resolves inflammation and removing the things that cause inflammation and then doing the things that are good for you instead of the other way. Let's eat more of what's good without taking out the bad. And I noticed the same thing. I'm like, wow, I don't have this spinal pain. I don't have the knee pain. Like everything works for the most mm -hmm. part. Uh, to the point where you get used to that. But then when I did the whole body stem cell makeover uh, with you and Harry and Amy, um, there's like other levels where it's it's not about it's stopping hurting. It's about just, I don't know, more more abilities and, and just more energy and just maybe more faster recovery. It's the whole younger thing. I it, was just going to say, you're getting younger, yeah. Dave. That's incredible. It feels like that. My responsiveness for exercise, you know, I I don't have to exercise very much. I'm you know, lean, I, I put on muscle without effort. I, I mean, I, I do, you know, one of the cheat machine workouts every two weeks, uh, from, uh, from upgrade labs. And, you know, I, I, you see the difference and it lasts for two weeks and it's, it's a little bit nuts uh, given my normal, uh, growing up was, yeah, I, I could put on muscle and all, but it was just always pain and just high maintenance. And I feel like the amount of maintenance that's required for my body went down. Um, I, I also noticed my alcohol tolerance has gone through the roof. Like I can drink like I would have in college. Um, wow. I don't do that because alcohol <laughs> is the opposite of an anti-aging thing. But starting about a month after the procedure, like I pretty much, I'll drink good sake with sushi uh, pretty much as often as I can. I, I appreciate really good stuff and it's self-limiting because good sake is expensive like good wine. So like you can't drink that much of it unless you want to be poor. So, <laughs> but that said, you know, I, could, I can drink, a carafe or two of good sushi, but I was on an intense business trip where I had sushi dinners every night. So I drank enough sushi or sorry, enough sake to feel good every night, really for about two weeks in a row, like five, six nights a week. Okay. This should have trashed my brain, not to the point where I'm walking around feeling like crap all the time, but I would have started dropping words. I would have noticed a little bit of creakiness. Like I would have felt it. I didn't feel it. So that said, I do my alcohol protocols with glutathione and all that, but my resilience is way higher. And no, I'm not doing that now. I might have you know a glass of sake once a week, uh, if that, because I enjoy it, knowing full well that it's not good for me. <laughs> but <laughs> the the difference was I and honestly, I haven't been able to do anything like that uh, since I was 25. 
Wow. And I'm 46. So there's, okay, my sleep is different. My circadian rhythm is different. My uh, stress tolerance for alcohol and other toxins like that has gone through the roof. My flexibility. Uh, I'm I'm thinking that it worked. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's, of it's course it cool. did. We and we did uh, we did breathing exercises during your treatment too. Oh, nice. I, I don't know if I was doing them. I was <laughs> unconscious, but I was doing the snoring exercise probably. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to get a little bit futuristic with you and share a story. I know two people who were uh, paraplegic, and you know for at least a year, and both of them used uh, electrical stimulation uh, on their spine. Uh, and both of them are walking around doing completely normal things today, as in fully recovered. Uh, and not with surgery, although I don't know if they had surgery. Uh, maybe, maybe not. The, um, both car accident people. Uh, and one of the guys was 70, and I talked to him while he was doing squats uh, with weight. Wow. <laughs> so I think it was working. Uh, yeah. And the other guy was you know, a proponent of the electrical machine. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, um, it seems like we know that nerves will grow, or at least we know bone will grow following a weak electrical current, as long mm -hmm. as it's shaped right. There was a Nobel Prize yep. for that, how to heal a, a disjoint fracture. So this is one of those smoking guns says, I think electricity in the body kind of matters. Uh, and we know that nerves will myelinate if they carry more of a current. So you can use the electrical stimulation to drive myelination of nerves. So, so you know they, they're required to carry a current, they tend to grow more thicker myelin. And Terry Walls has talked about how she did that when she cured her MS. And I've driven my myelination. Um, mold toxins will demyelinate nerves. It's, it's like the rubber insulation on, uh, on an extension cord. It, that's what myelin is. So if it's frayed or doesn't work, you know, things, electricity kind of leaks out of the nerves to put it in a really rudimentary layperson way. <laughs> um, what have you seen uh, with the electrical stimulation or you mentioned electromagnetic stuff earlier? Uh, you know, it's okay to go off the reservation. We're talking about the future or the outliers. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not your recommendations, yeah. although I'd love to get those if you have them. But if you were to go out on a limb here and say, I don't recommend this, but yeah. there's something interesting going on. What's going on for radical regeneration here? Well, so one thing that has come to mind a couple of times since we've been talking is that the biochemistry that I was taught in college has to do with re um, receptor ligand, meaning two proteins that meet each other in the body on a microscopic level, then affect a, the next process. So it's like things touching each other, chemicals interacting with each other, uh, cause biological processes. But we know that quantum physics works differently. And when you talked about fields and the electromagnetic um, fields among cells and, and in the body, I feel like we're on the verge of in the next 20 to 50 years of having a totally different understanding of the biology of the body. And so taking into account, you know, how does this energy work? How does acupuncture work? How does um, pulse electromagnetic fields, for example? So I have patients that use that occasionally, and it's a um, it's a device that emits a magnetic current and that's basically an energy that a magnetic field that, that energy goes into the tissue and affects healing. I, I've got one um, right behind me. I used it on my foot last night. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And same with cold laser. So cold yeah. laser, um, again, it emits an energy and that energy goes into the body and affects healing. But we weren't taught, I wasn't taught in college or med school, how the body can, absorb energy from external sources and do stuff. 
So that's what I think is the future is understanding how that works and then what type of energy is the best for your particular problem. So if it's spinal cord injury, is it electrical? Is it magnetic? Is it both of them together? Is it electrical and magnetic and stem cells all at the same time? Um, that's, I think that's where we're going is you using, figuring out how to use external energy plus regenerative medicine together. Uh, that is uh, very much in alignment with where I see the world going on that front because you can see it happen. And I, I look back 20 years ago, and if you just said magnets have anything to do with biology, most people, uh, especially Western medicine, would would just laugh at you and you know, say, do you have a tinfoil hat? And the machine that I have here, uh, it's from Upgrade Labs, and you turn that on and your entire muscle group will twitch. So yeah. it, it's pretty easy to say magnets are doing something because how is it that it can yeah. move? Or you look at the some, there's some really cool videos looking at what aphids growing on roses will do when they're near an airport radar installation. Every time the radar beam uh, sweeps around, <laughs> all the aphids like stand up and then they sit down. They stand up and they sit down. That's like yeah. they're dancing in unison, but it's because of, there's an EMF field that's affecting them. Yeah. And whether yeah. that affects us as much or doesn't, it, it's pretty clear there's something happening and we could argue and do the science and over 20 years we'll figure it out. But then how do we use that? to do good in the body. I, I think there's an, a mechanism for it. And uh, just to point out, you're, you're talking about quantum biology, which is really different than this word quantum. It kind of makes me mad because quantum physics and quantum biology are very real, hardcore academic disciplines with uh, really strong research behind them. And, and then there's also like, I'm going to do a quantum meditation Right. And you're like, right. what does that mean here? And what it means is uh, you've got some sort of like buzzword marketing because, you know, Prana is now a yoga brand. So you're like, I don't know. I just thought I'd pick the word. <laughs> so it kind of gets abused. And because you're doing, you know, real uh, Chinese lineage energy medicine, uh, in addition, what you're doing, that's not the quantum we're talking about, but that may cross over into actual quantum biology. And that's like the right. cutting edge of science, right? Where we don't know, but there's something interesting going on there. And so we're learning. Uh, and I just want to draw that distinction for people because quite often quantum can just be replaced with the word bullshit. But <laughs> when we're talking about quantum biology or we're talking about quantum physics, those are real science. And some quantum meditation may have a quantum effect. It, heck, it probably does, uh, but it can be misused and abused. So don't, you just, you can't take it with, or you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and uh, in this case, though, this is uh, the proper Himalayan salt, so you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit more about dying. How long are you going to live? I think about 120. 120. All right. Mm -hmm. Why? I think that my lifetime, we're going to see some really fascinating treatments for the things that typically get people in old age. And I think, I, I just, I think that's the number that's, I have a, it's of an inner core telling me that that's the number. So you're sort of intuiting it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you're counting on obviously stem cells. Are, are there any other for technologies sure. that you think are going to enable you to you know, live? Well, that's what about 50% longer than average. I, I'm going to chalk it up to the, the Chinese energy. I feel very strongly that when I, at whatever point I finish my, well, I may never finish my neurosurgical career, but whatever that time is, 
I see myself digging deeper and deeper into this Chinese energy discipline. And I can see that leading me into a very long life. You know, some of the longest lived people do practice uh, Tai Chi or Qigong or, uh, you know, come from China and you could say, oh, maybe it's genetic or something, but there's unquestionably a lineage of this. Uh, and I love that you're talking about it because the first chapter of my, uh, my new book uh, that is not out yet, that is around how I'm actually planning to live to 180. Uh, I, I look at, okay, have do we have examples of people who do this? And where do they come <laughs> from? And have we been studying this for thousands of years? And it just so happens that in Europe, in India, uh, and in China, there are very clear examples going back a couple thousand years, not to mention Egypt, uh, of people saying, you know, we're going to work on this longevity. We're going to pay attention to the people who live a long time. We're going to do more of what they did. So I feel like there's kind of a, a history of that. So relying on that, the whole Taoism side of things, it's probably not going to hurt you. You'll probably get more energy now and maybe you'll live longer. You know, so I, I, I like your perspective <laughs> on that. And I think it's, it's actually a rational perspective, even though some people would say it's irrational given that well, you can't come on, you can't come on Bulletproof radio and say you're going to live to like 95. I mean, that's a, just a few people do it. <laughs> I, I want to get one of those little machines that goes, wah, wah, you know, <laughs> exactly. My grandmother uh, just passed away at 93. So I've got the genetics to get into my nineties and I feel like we've got science and uh, the energy to get me further. Love it. Well, um, we can definitely hang out when we're, uh, when we're old together. We'll be That's wiser right. and still young. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, Marcella, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really fun. Your clinic is austinintegrativespine.com. Uh, that's, uh, I guess, where people can find info about your work. And I got to say, if you're going to get stem cells in your brain, your spine, in your uh you know, other areas, uh, wherever else they might be. Uh, I got to say, she does good work. So do uh, Harry and Amy at Dosaire. And uh, having um, all three of you guys working on me at the same time was uh, was really, really cool. And I, uh, I appreciate that. Well, it was great. Thank you so much for letting us do that. And it was a really great experience for all of us. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to bulletproof.com slash iTunes. And that's going to take you straight to the Apple page where you can leave a review for Bulletproof Radio and tell people that the show is worth your time. Uh, we've crossed 100 million downloads and the reviews are, uh, are very good. And I always appreciate a good review. And I, I actually appreciate your comments especially. So if you think that this show is worth your time, by all means, uh, tell other people because it matters. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services.
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.